0: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who wanna know what works with social media. I am super excited about today's show. Today, I'll be joined by Tom Webster, and we're going to explore brand new research that he's brought to the table, focused on Snapchat and podcast adoption. By the way, if you want to reach out to me for any reason, email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. Let's transition over to this week's brand new discovery.
1: Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip.
0: This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric?
1: This week, I found a new approach to Twitter. It is called Little Voices, and it's an iOS app for Twitter.
0: Little Voices. So tell us, what does it do?
1: So it's unique in the fact that What it does is it takes your, you log in with your Twitter account and it then takes your Twitter stream and removes all the tweets that have images, links, or replies from other users. And then you only see what's left, which is the tweets that contain only
0: text. Interesting. Now, why would you want that?
1: (laughs) Well, for people who've been around on Twitter for a while, uh lo- you know longer than i don't know a year or two there there's this there's a stream of people who say twitter is just not what it used to be and they want to just purely talk they don't want to see the marketing messages or the promotional messages or things like that they want to literally just see people talking or be able to talk with them so this is a really great way to cut through a bunch of the visual noise of twitter And to get right to the who's saying things that's just purely in text and that you can start a conversation with them.
0: Okay, so it's a mobile client for iOS and um, presumably you can can do what any other Twitter client can do minus the, the links and the images. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: that's exactly it. Yeah, you can also post with it. So there's a it's it's a green icon with a little typewriter, and then when you go into the app itself, there's that little typewriter shows up up on the right, uh, and there's literally one stream, and it's just whoever you're following. Only, oh, it strips out all those other
0: tweets. Oh, I see what you're saying. Very you cool. See what I'm saying, yeah, yeah,
1: and, and so you, do- and you can hit that typewriter, and then you can type. You can create a tweet also, but only in text. And
0: can you do direct messages? No. Interesting. So what's the name of the app?
1: It's called Little Voices, and you just have to go to the iOS app or the iOS um, Apple Store and just type in Little Voices. You can't miss
0: it. Very cool. All right. Well, there you have it. A brand new find. Eric, thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Now let's transition over to today's interview with Tom Webster.
1: Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide.
0: I'm very excited to be joined today by Tom Webster. If you don't know who Tom is, he's the vice president of strategy and marketing at Edison Research. And he also is the co-host of the Marketing Companion podcast. Tom is also a specialist in consumer behavior and media consumption. Tom, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot for having me.
0: So today, Tom and I are going to explore a number of trends from Tom's infinite dial research study that's been going on, frankly, for years. We're going to take a look at Snapchat, and we're going to take a look at podcasting, whatever else we decide to talk about. So, Tom, before we get started Tell us a little bit about this infinite dial study that you've been doing and maybe just give a little backstory on it.
2: Yeah, sure. So we started doing this research series back in 1998. So it's been going continuously since then for years and years. It's uh, the longest running study on a, digital habits and behaviors and consumption that there is out there. So uh, we have these incredible trending graphs for some things that go all the way back to 1998. You wouldn't believe it, but things like uh, internet radio, for example, mm. were, were able to be measured in, uh, in real terms way back in 1998. So we've been measuring all kinds of digital uh, behaviors, media consumption patterns in audio, in video, social, mobile, uh, for years and years. And I've been involved with the study since 2004. I've been the voice of the study on our our annual webinars uh, since 2004. And uh, it's it's certainly one of the, I think, the finest, finest pieces of work I've ever had the pleasure to be involved with.
0: Well, I'd love to know what the genesis is of the name Infinite Dial, and also maybe a little bit about how you actually conduct the research, because I think people might find that interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, back in 1998, when the series started, it was really more focused on digital audio. We were trying to capture the patterns of consumption with streaming audio. and, And, you know, you think about today's brands in streaming audio and in digital music, for instance, like Pandora and Spotify, they weren't around then. But there were plenty of others around back then that, you know, uh, Mark Cuban had sold Broadcast.com to Yahoo. There was Net Radio. There was Spinner. (laughs) There was AOL Radio. Uh, There were lots of uh, fledgling brands back then. And we started this as a means to kind of track them and uh, put them in their place in the universe. And gradually over time, as behaviors started to migrate to, to various media and uh, audio and video became important platforms on the internet, which had heretofore really been a text driven medium. Uh, we started to track all of that, so over the years, we added podcasting, we added social media uh, essentially, if you do it online, we're interested in it and uh, the goal of the infinite dial and again, the infinite dial that name sort of came from you know expanding the the radio or the television dial to include an infinite universe of possibility. Uh, the goal of the survey was always to create the kind of survey of record uh, in in the various fields that we cover. So we spend an enormous amount, uh, nearly six figures, frankly, in hard costs on uh, mobile and landline telephone sampling, which is kind of the gold standard in our business, to make a study that is random and representative and projectable to the U.S. population. So it's a, it's a tremendous effort. Again, I'm enormously proud of it. Uh, and I love coming out with new facts every year that are uh, corroborated and, and, and backed up in what I see people do online.
0: So just to be clear, the way that you guys conduct this study is you actually talk to human beings. This isn't just a survey monkey kind of study like we do. It's It's more of a, you know, you're asking specific questions over the phone to these people, right?
2: That's right. Uh, And in our sample, we have about a little over 40% mobile phone uh, sampling as well. It's the only way to reach everybody is uh, telephone surveying, which is why it's still kind of the gold standard. Um, And, you know, the goal of this is uh, what we call probabilistic sampling, which is a a long and fancy way of saying uh, if you live in America, you have an equal non-zero chance of being sampled by this study, which is what makes it projectable.
0: So it's basically... It's, it's randomized, so to speak, and you are contacting people all over the country to try to get a representative sample of Americans. Is that kind of what I hear that's, you saying?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, and the survey is, is constructed as such that if we see 20% of the sample feeling something in our study, that is projectable to 20% of Americans 12 plus engaging in that behavior. And again, it, it's... Uh, the you know, no knock on the, the kind of DIY surveys like you like you just mentioned. They have different uses, right uh, But if you really want to go out there on a limb and say this is how Americans feel, there's quite a bit of work that needs to be done to do that.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's start by talking about podcasting. Um, ever since serial came out a uh, year and a half ago or so, podcasting has kind of had this massive buzz about it with a lot of these NPR kind of spin-off podcasts doing really super high production. And I guess one of the questions that I've got is, is the hype matching the actual growth of podcast listenership over the last couple of years? What does your data show us?
2: One of the things I love about doing survey research like this is that uh, although it reflects the current state of America, it typically lags what uh, the cognoscenti or the digerati think. And it can lag it by quite a bit. But if it's a real thing, it eventually gets there. Um, when we started, uh, we started tracking podcasting, uh, way back in, I think 2007, I believe. So we have lots and lots of data on podcasting. Uh, two years ago before serial, we showed that 15% of Americans 12 plus had ever listened to a podcast in the past 12 months. And then now serial is, that, is they- that
0: good by the way, or is that, I mean, just to give some representative is 15% considered pretty reasonable. I mean that sounds big.
2: It's huge. I yeah. mean we're you know fifteen percent. We're talking about tens and tens of millions of Americans. It's a, it's a you know fifteen percent, and that had had been sort of growing, uh, you know, growing steadily but not uh, exponentially uh, up from nine percent in two thousand and eight. So it had been sort of creeping up from nine percent, eleven, twelve, twelve, and so you know it, it plateaued for a little while, and then uh, it went to fifteen percent in two thousand fourteen, and then cereal came out and. There was enormous advertiser and brand and kind of inside baseball interest in podcasting. And we did see a rise. It went from 15% in 2014 to 17% in 2015. But that's not like you know hockey stick growth. Mm-hmm. However, this year in 2016... We saw it jump from 17% last year to 21% this year. That's a 24% increase year over year in the percentage of Americans who've listened to a podcast in the last month. So the serial effect, it didn't happen immediately. But what it did do is make people a lot more aware that, you know, look, there's all this on-demand content out there. And as mainstream Americans started to bump into it and discover it kind of uh, in their own time, we really saw a surge in consumption uh, over last year so it's it's quite a it's quite a good amount of growth
0: do you attribute it just to cereal because i i heard somewhere recently and i think it was npr or it might have been another one of these national public radio kind of stations where they they put came out with a new policy that said that you're not allowed to mention your podcast on the air. I wonder, um, because traditional radio was starting to freak out a little bit, so I don't know, maybe you have some perspective on this. Is traditional radio, terrestrial radio, seeing a decline? and Or do you think it's possible that a lot of these people that had popular shows on traditional radio have been evangelizing their shows on podcasting, and perhaps that has also had something to do with the growth of podcasting.
2: Well, Michael, that's what we call a compound question in my business. So I'll <laughs> back it up. Yeah. I'll back it up to the beginning. Uh, no, I do not think this is due to Serial, uh, okay. this, this kind of increase. I mean, I think Serial had a, had a role in it. Um, and I think, you know, what Serial did, however, was bring uh, a number of the of the chattering classes, let's say, uh, familiar with podcasting. So you had a lot of people writing about podcasting because of the Serial phenomenon. Mm-hmm. You had people writing in mainstream publications. You know, our, we've had coverage in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and a whole bunch of different publications. And so, podcasting—the uh, medium—sort uh, of became known and, and brought to the fore. But the other thing that's happened, especially since Serial, is there's a lot more mainstream content available on uh, on the medium than ever before. Right? Uh, you look at. uh, our clients at Podcast One have shows from people like Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, you could not have imagined Shaquille O'Neal doing a podcast five years ago. Mm -hmm. There's a podcast from Shaquille O'Neal today, and that uh, has a tremendous following because he can go out on his social networks and basically promote the fact that he's doing this, and it becomes a a more intimate way for his fans to connect with him. So a lot of it is content-driven, I think, as well. Um, In terms of uh, terrestrial radio... What I think is interesting here is that podcasting really rewards original content. And when you look at uh, who is really kind of dominating the charts in podcasts, a lot of it is public media, because public media has, for years, invested in original content. And I think for terrestrial radio to to be able to catch up and compete, uh, you can't really podcast music, or a, a lawyer will shoot you in the face. So there has to be a a reinvestment in original content. And frankly, there's not a ton of it from a percentage standpoint on commercial terrestrial radio.
0: Right. So so a lot of these people that are doing really well, like the Startup Podcast, which is from Alex Bloomberg, who used to be with uh, This American Life, which sources out of, I think, NPR, if I'm not mistaken. A lot of these folks are bringing that uh, journalistic style of podcast, uh, content, if you will, over, I mean, uh, of radio content over to podcasting and people are like going crazy with it. But then you've got all the comedians, right? Which are creating original content in long form. Do you think that the comedians have a lot to do with this? I'm just, cause the reason I'm asking is because I'm wondering whether or not the growth of podcasting is because people that were famous in traditional media went over to podcasting or if it's because there's lots of little guys that are carrying the load or the traffic or the audience. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Well, you know, so to date, I think there's been a a sort of a hard limiting cap on podcasting. And and I'll go back to the comment that you can't podcast licensed music. Um, Essentially, if you podcast licensed music, the various royalty bureaus feel that you're printing a CD. Hmm. Uh, And so they will charge you accordingly, which is uh, a usurious fee. So what you're left with is spoken word content. We know from another research series that we have called Share of Ear that about 20% of content consumed via audio is spoken word, and the other 80% is music. So you're already dealing with that—you know, uh, one fifth of the available audience or the available audio hours, I should say, being devoted to spoken word. But in that, you, you know, you have people that are interested in news, in perspectives, in current events, uh, in comedy—big driver. And in sports as another very big driver. And so those have kind of been, you know, the early wins for podcasting. I know in the early days of podcasting, there were a lot of tech podcasts. And that, I think, represented the available audience, which was the available audience who understood how to download a piece of content, sync it, subscribe to it, and transfer it over to their iPod.
0: Right. Like the Leo Laporte's, right, of the world.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the iPod, as we know it, is is, is uh, not necessarily a going concern. Uh, so, but as the friction to consume podcasts has gone away, uh, more mainstream content avenues are available to people, which is why we get the, we get podcasts from people like Shaquille O'Neal. We get uh, the extremely popular podcast from Nicole Polizzi, who's the the woman formerly known as Snooki, who has a giant social media following. Hmm. Uh, and you know, these are people that weren't listening to podcasts two or three years ago. But when Nicole tweets, "Hey, I've got a show." you know, she has a potential audience of like 7 million people on social media that just click on the link and listen to it. So content is really driving it.
0: It's interesting. So basically, it sounds like people are being brought into this from other mediums from people that are social celebrities and or uh, influencers. But eventually, um, well, I want to get to I want to get to the role of the car. But before I get to the role of the car, can you tell us what your data shows about how people's listening habits are on podcasts? I know I think you asked some questions about how often they're listening and perhaps the number of shows. Do you have any data on that?
2: Well, the one thing I can tell you is that when we ask people uh, how they listen to podcasts the most, uh, about two thirds of them say, on a mobile device. And that's had a number of implications. So what the uh, the rise of the smartphone, and the ability to have, you know, always-on, ubiquitous broadband and a supercomputer, frankly, in your pocket, has enabled people to listen to content in environments and contexts and at times of day that uh, were heretofore unavailable to them. To mm-hmm. be academic about it, so in our Share of Ear series, one of the things that we've shown is the average American listens to about four hours of audio every day. You know, and audio is a wonderful companion medium. You can listen to audio while you're doing other things. The podcast listener listens to six hours every day. That's an enormous difference.
0: Six hours every day?
2: Six hours every day. And the form of content that they listen to the most, it's not the majority, as in not more than 50%, but it is the plurality, as in the largest slice of the pie, is to podcasts. And they're listening to a lot more audio because they're able to listen to a lot more audio. They're able to take uh, programming that is interesting to them they're able to take it into their car. They're able to take it onto public transportation, to the gym, when they're going out for a walk, when they're doing gardening. Um, and, you know, we're seeing those those rises and those increases in listening in places where people might not have even listened to audio before. So it's, it's really growing the audio pie.
0: Well, and for the talk shows that are on podcasting, one unique feature of podcasting that would never work with music is the ability to play it at one and a half times speed and still not have it sound like chipmunks, you know? (laughs) So for people that want to consume a lot of stuff, but don't have as much time, that's kind of a distinctly unique thing on a lot of the podcast players, you know, but the thing, the thing I'm curious about is what your thoughts are on cars, because people for the last three years have been talking about this car revolution with podcasts, but it doesn't seem like it's yet arrived. I'm curious what your thoughts are with that.
2: Well, I think it's going to get there. Um, and again, you know let's let's do a little math here as i mentioned 80% of the audio we consume is music and 20% is spoken word and then if you take the percentage of people who can listen to internet audio in their car and apply those same percentages then yeah that's going to look smaller in the car right you know if you have 21% of americans 12 plus saying they've listened to a podcast in the last month the percentage who are going to say that they've listened in a car is going to be quite a bit smaller because they don't have the ability to but it's getting there it's absolutely getting there, and one of the most interesting things I think about uh, listening to internet audio in the past car, uh, it, sorry, internet listening to internet audio in the vehicle. That's a behavior that's increased considerably. You know, you have uh, people saying that they're listening to online radio. Twenty-one percent of uh, people who have driven or ridden in a car in the last month say they've listened to online radio in their car. Twenty-one percent. Mm-hmm. That's in the last, uh, basically, currently ever listened to that. And that's not, you know, the, that's not the percentage of Americans who have some kind of connected dashboard because that's a lot smaller.
0: Well, I know I so, use a cassette tape adapter, yeah, thing, you know, that's
2: exactly right. You've yeah. got a cassette tape adapter, you've got a USB plug, you've got Bluetooth, uh, just an audio patch cord. So people are overcoming friction to be able to consume this content in their car, which is a clear sign of pent up demand.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, um, where do you see podcast before we transition over to snapchat which i definitely want to talk about what's your thoughts on i mean like if we grew four percent or or, or the equivalent of 20 some percent growth over the prior year in podcasting where do you see it heading into the future and i know that your job is not to predict the future but to kind of comment on the current state of things but what's your thoughts on you know i'm sure you've noodled on this a little bit where do you see things going
2: i have well, uh, I'm I'm going to say something that I know a lot of the you know the OG original gangster podcasters have, have kind of taken issue with, but I've been covering the space for 11 years, so I, I you know I'm not a newbie to it either. Uh, the name holds it back to a larger audience, mm. and I think you know if you are producing a podcast, then keep calling it a podcast. If you have an audience that is looking for a podcast, then describe it as a podcast. But going forward. I think it's going to be all about the show. Mm-hmm. It's about the show, and it's about the program. And if you think about what a podcast really is, it's just on-demand audio. It's just what you want to listen to wherever and whenever you want to listen to. It's not dissimilar from a TiVo, right? From what from a TiVo uh, recording things on television that you would like to watch when you want to watch them. But when we record things on the TiVo, we don't call them TiVo casts. Right. We call them a show. And I think podcasting has been kind of a special snowflake for many years, but it should not escape people that uh, just the other day, Audible, the audiobook platform, announced that they were getting into podcasts. But what I would uh, point everybody to is their actual page for the announcement for Audible channels. They don't use the word podcast anywhere. It's all about the show. And I think going forward, the more we stop thinking about podcasting as its own special snowflake. And the more we start thinking about, let's put on a show, let's put on a great show, uh, let's find the people who want to hear this show and let's promote this show, I think the better off the entire medium is going to be.
0: I'm with you 100%. I've been using words like talk and show for a long time because I think, and even when I launched Social Media Examiner, I called it an online magazine because people didn't exactly understand what a blog was. So yeah. I, 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 think, I think it's important to understand that, um, a lot of people may not know the, the inside baseball vernacular, and I think you've keyed on to something very important. Well, let's transition, Tom, over to Snapchat. Um, let's start by asking, how long have you been tracking Snapchat? Um, and, and then let's talk about what you're seeing with some of the growth in your study.
2: So uh, we've been tracking Snapchat actually since 2013, um, which... Which means we've tracked it in four yearly infinite dial studies.
0: So just about after it came out then.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And I will tell you, when we first started tracking Snapchat in 2013, uh, we saw 3% of Americans 12 Plus using the platform. That's in the total population. So Now, that's still millions of people. That's not a small number. But it was 3% of Americans 12 Plus in 2013. And in the next year, it jumped to 14%. Wow. And the next year, it jumped to 17%. And this year, it has jumped to 23%. That's 23% of all Americans, 12 plus, that's that's well over 60 million Americans, say that they have used, uh, that they currently ever use Snapchat. Um, well, well hold on, let me
0: pause you here for a second. Have you ever yep. seen any social network grow this fast in your study history?
2: Well, uh, Pinterest was close. Okay. Uh, but that year over year jump, I think, from uh, 2013 to 2014, where it grew by you know, well over 400% is certainly one of the largest we've ever seen. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, Instagram has had growth like that. Uh, you know, Instagram doubled from 2013 to 2015 and now sits at 29%. But, you know, Pinterest in those, in those four years, uh, sorry, Snapchat in those four years to have gone from 3% to 23% is incredible, incredible growth.
0: Wow. What, what, um, why do you think it's grown as fast as it has? and 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 I know that you probably have some data about who is using Snapchat from your study, so I'd love to dig into either one of those questions.
2: well, it's a it's a wise question, Michael, because they are entirely related. Um, and what you have seen, you know in ever since we've been tracking Facebook, you know we've been tracking Facebook for years and years and years, and it's been the number one platform every year that we tracked it, you know and it is in fact the number one platform this year as well. Uh, And I want to, I want to just linger on this, this number for a moment before we press on to Snapchat, 64% of all Americans, 12 plus say they use Facebook. That's That's almost two thirds of Americans use a single brand, not a medium, but a single brand. I mean, imagine any brand with that kind of usage. So uh, Facebook is a brand like we've never seen before.
0: Zuckerberg was smart not to sell, wasn't he? (laughs)
2: Uh, he, well, he—I mean, Facebook is kind of eating the internet. He was very smart not to sell, yeah. and his, his smartest purchase was the number two social network, which is Instagram, at twenty-nine percent of Americans twelve plus. So, uh, you know, he—he he bought the right uh, adjunct to the platform. Well, he, did he, dr- he tried
0: to buy Snapchat too, didn't he?
2: <laughs> he whiffed on Snapchat, and I'll—I'll I'll tell you what he missed by buying by not being able to buy Snapchat. It's not just the raw numbers; it's who those numbers are and here's i think one of the biggest findings from the infinite dial when we looked at the total population you know we see snapchat in fourth but when you look at 12 to 24 12 to 24 and that's obviously that's going to include a, a couple of preteens and teenagers and young adults and so on snapchat is the number one social platform this is the first time in the history of the infinite dial that we have seen Facebook not be number one in any demographic. Snapchat is used by 72% of 12 to 24s Facebook by 68%. Jeez, so it's that's a, nuts. It's, it's groundbreaking. Yeah. I mean, Snapchat Snapchat's penetration with young adults is bazonkers to use a technical term. So what Facebook missed by not buying them was a targeted audience that they may have difficulty reaching going forward, you know. As as you look at how twelve to twenty fours and how teenagers are using social media, those patterns are changing. They're using Snapchat a lot more, and that's taking time away from their usage of Facebook. So it's not that they missed any kind of technical capability, or they missed the ability to uh, to send ephemeral messages or short videos. What they're missing is a chunk of audience uh, that, you know, frankly, may have. You know, you can't sort of teach people all over again to develop a new habit necessarily. So if they're stuck with Snapchat, there's no telling where they'll go after that. And they may certainly not go back to Facebook.
0: Well, let me ask you this question. Is the uh, overwhelming use of Snapchat in the younger demographic um, uh, counterbalancing a lack of use in the older demographic? I'm curious what your thoughts are on the folks that are over the age of 24. Do you have data showing they also are using it or they're not using it?
2: Well, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't stick a nail in the coffin of Facebook uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And I will give you a question that we ask that, frankly, I haven't seen in print in any other survey research. We don't just ask people which platforms they use. We also ask them to indicate which social media brand they use the most often. Mm. And in 2015, last year, 65% of social media users, which is well over 70 percent of the country now, uh, say that 65 percent of social media users say Facebook is the platform they use the most often. This year, it's 61 percent. So, on the one hand, it has decreased by four percentage points. On the other hand, it's 61 freaking percent. Yeah, right. It's it's a it's an enormous number. Uh, the only thing that has shifted, you know, Twitter is about the same year over year. Pinterest is about the same year over year as is LinkedIn. The only thing that shifted in that pie chart is Snapchat, which went from 4% of Americans saying they use it most often last year to 8% this year. So double the number of Americans say Snapchat is the one they use most often. And I think, again, what should be alarming here to Facebook, even though they continue to have a majority, is that when you look at 12 to 24, the percentage of 12 to 24s who say Facebook is what they use most often is 32%. So it's about half of what it is with the total population. And Snapchat grew from 15 to 26. So Snapchat, at least with 12 to 24s, is kind of eating Facebook.
0: So is it safe to assume, I hear a lot of people say that Snapchat is for young people and Facebook is for old people. Does your data kind of affirm that?
2: I think what my data affirms is that Snapchat is for young people. Facebook is for everybody.
0: I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, Now, I think if I'm not mistaken, you showed kind of the uh, behavioral patterns of people that are snapping, did you study that? i thought you, I thought I saw something in your report that talked about how often they were on Snapchat. Do you have any of that kind of data handy or no
2: we haven 't released that data yet I mean okay. we do have some we do have data on uh, on the social media brand that people use several times a day and yeah, that was I it. Think, again, so
0: are they using Snapchat multiple times a day? Do you recall that or do you have that data? I do. Yeah.
2: yeah, I do. So this again, I think, is a data point worth lingering on. So when you this this is with the total population twelve plus. So again, we're looking at the entire population of the US twelve plus. We asked people which social media brands they use several times per day. Mm. You know, and that's really habitual use. Number one was Facebook at thirty five percent. So that's, you know, over half of Facebook users. Tell us they use it several times per day. That's incredible. Right. Uh, tied for second are Snapchat and Instagram. Not wow. Twitter. Uh, not LinkedIn. Not a number of other platforms. But Snapchat and Instagram are both tied at twelve percent. So, you know, Snapchat is you know maybe the most incredible growth story that we've seen in this series since we've been tracking social media.
0: Well, and I'm just going to give some of my non-scientific analysis on what I'm seeing with Snapchat. I'm a guy that um, was basically on Snapchat every day for about four months until I just couldn't handle it anymore because of the conference social media marketing world coming up. But one of the things that I noticed um, is, first of all, it is definitely a different experience than Facebook. You have this kind of all-immersive Experience where it's as if you're just watching little videos and pictures without any advertising around it, and it it, it's a very I think intimate platform. In the same way we say that podcasting is intimate because the audio goes right into your ears. There's something uniquely special about the way that people can communicate um, and respond to your stories in private on Snapchat because they do it in a way that's just for you, and there's no other public consumption of the replies, which does make it really quite intimate. But what kind of blew my mind was looking at the data. Um, I think it was in February of 2015, they had 2 billion video views per day. And they just announced uh, recently that in February of 2016, they were up to 8 billion video views per day. And these are 10 second video views. And I don't know exactly how many people on the platform. I think it's 100 to 200 million. But that is a heck of a lot of consumption that's happening on Snapchat. And, you know, as I'm talking through this, I wonder, have you seen a decline in YouTube at all in your study? Or are you also seeing growth in that? Because I'm thinking this very same young audience is probably also consuming on YouTube, but I'm curious whether or not there's any pattern changes going on there. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, uh, YouTube, with especially with young Americans, has continues to go through the roof. In fact, YouTube is, is currently the leading platform for music discovery. Mm. And I'm talking about you throw in AM, FM, Radio, Pandora, Spotify. YouTube is number one. Um, so YouTube continues to grow considerably. But I, I want to go back to something that you said uh, just before that, which I think is very smart and is worth expanding on a little bit, and that's this. If you think about Snapchat, which is not necessarily an ad-friendly medium, I think we can agree on that.
0: Yep.
2: It's not an advertiser-friendly medium. We're talking about podcasts, uh, which again, right now, is an ad environment where people may have two or three sponsorships, you know, a pre-roll, possibly a mid-roll. Um, and then you have the enormous numbers of Americans who are listening to internet radio, Pandora in particular, where they're also treated to an environment where there are only three or four spots in an hour. And all of that is shaking to the core the foundations of what I would call the ad bargain. The ad bargain is the deal we make with our attention for traditional mass media, which says this, I will give you my attention for X number of minutes of commercials in exchange for free content that I like. We make the ad bargain with TV. We make the ad bargain with radio. We make the ad bargain to some extent in print. The ad bargain is being shaken to its core by all of these various media that are coming at us that are intimate, and that's, the, that's a great word that I, I think is worth repeating here, they're intimate, they're not great environments for lots of commercials. They are great environments for uh, sparse, targeted, intimate messages, which could end up being enormously powerful. But as things like uh, the penetration of Pandora and podcasting and Snapchat uh, continue to proliferate, that ad bargain is not such a bargain anymore. And that means that people who do make their livelihood uh, on the ad bargain have to start to reevaluate what's the value here, what's the trade-off. And I think that's a profound implication.
0: Well, do you think, Tom, that it's, look, Snapchat is coming up on four years and podcasting has been around for 10 or 11 years. Do you think it's too late to the marketers that are listening right now to get involved with podcasting or to get involved with Snapchat? Or do you think we still have a long road ahead of us and there's incredible opportunity? I'm curious what you think.
2: I think there's an incredibly long road ahead of us. I don't think it's too involved. I mean, I'm uh, Snapchat is a particular brand and I'm not the type to to sort of advocate a particular brand strategy, right? Um, I think, you know, there there may have been, Brand strategies for you know MySpace and Friendster, and you have to be sort of nimble about that sort of thing. And I'm not saying Snapchat is going to join those ranks. In fact, I think they have enough traction that that, that sort of uh, puts the lie to that. Uh, but for podcasting in particular, I think the opportunity here for brands is to look at the audience that podcasts aren't reaching, not to focus on the on the audience that podcasts are reaching, because the audience that the audience that podcasts are reaching is you know it is it is while it is a significant audience it is a portion of the american public that is a, a bit more affluent a bit more ahead of the curve a bit better educated but the percentage of americans who like quality shows and enjoy good programming is far bigger and so i think the opportunity for brands is to do the next thing it's to do the thing that gives them access to a greater portion of the population to put out great programming uh, and And frankly, to go back to a very, very old form of advertising there 's plenty of research that shows that there is a halo effect for companies that support programming i 'm not talking about companies that run ads in programming, but companies that uh, overtly support you know as in Bring to you a program, which is the model that public radio has had for years and I think that model is open and available to everybody. And the amount of content and the number of Americans you could reach in that, I don't think we know what that is yet. I think there's tremendous opportunities.
0: Well, Tom, I just want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts and your research. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find more about you and your Infinite Dial study?
2: Well, the Infinite Dial is available at edisonresearch.com, should still be on the homepage, uh, even at the time of this, because I keep bumping it so it's still there. Uh, and you can read some of my uh, personal musings about branding and, and consumer behavior at BrandSavant.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Webby2001. And I'll answer people anywhere they, anywhere they
0: find me. Tom Webster, Vice President of Strategy and Marketing at Edison Research. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insight today.
2: Oh, my pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. If there was anything that we mentioned that you just missed, well, don't worry. We take all the notes for you. Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 197. That stands for episode 197. Also, if you're new to this podcast, hit that subscribe button on your podcast player. And if you're not new to the podcast and you're a regular listener and you haven't already done so, would you consider giving me a rating and a review on iTunes. Uh, the fast URL to get there, socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes can actually uh, get you right where you can do that. And I think you can do that from your mobile phone. Well, this brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelsner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world.
1: The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.
0: Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash getupdates.